Hello and welcome to the Hole in My Heart podcast. This is episode 136, Lifting Loneliness in a Pandemic. Hello and welcome. I am your host, Lori Krieg, and I am with my favorite licensed therapist, Jesus Lake Carpenter, Argyle expert. That's right, babe. It's back. Your adjective phrase is back because I just missed it. And my husband, Matt Krieg. Hello. Hey, Matt. And of course, we have the most professional, not only talented, but professional radio voice among us, producer Steve. Hi, guys. Hey, Steve. Guys, before we get rolling here, I did want to invite you to join our book launch team. It would mean so, so much to us if you joined our community uh, of folks who are helping us to get the word out about an impossible marriage. If you go to impossiblemarriage.com, single and married people, I'm telling you, I think you'll be blessed. Uh, we, we believe you will be. The same person who endorsed our book endorsed our guest book today. And it's our friend and yours is that person is Greg Coles. But our new friend is going to talk to us about loneliness. That's right. This is something that nobody really wants to talk about or admit, but we all feel it. Let's courageously, which is our theme for this season of the podcast, let's talk about that which is uncomfortable. And let's do it with our new friend and author, Jason Gabry. Jason, welcome. Great to be with you today, Lori. Thank you for your ministry and the work that you're doing together. Just so grateful for you, and it's my pleasure to be here. Thank you. For those of you who do not know Jason, he is a regional ministry director with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, an Anglican friar, and has contributed to a number of books, including Drama Team Handbook, and is the author of the new IVP, we love InterVarsity, IVP for audio book, Wait With Me, Meeting God in Loneliness. I am so excited to dive into this, but before we do... Let's ask you, our guest, and our audience a question about the theme today, which I did not get a ton of answers, and I think because it was a more vulnerable question instead of like, what's your mask story, which everyone wants to talk about that, (laughs) or doesn't want to talk about that, depending on who you talk to. However, here's the question of the week. Uh, When you're feeling lonely, what do you do that's helpful? Call someone, text someone, scroll, open the fridge, write a poem. I don't know. Probably your Enneagram type plays into this. Uh, But I would love to hear from you first, Jason, before we throw it to our audience. Yeah, sure. Well, I'm a Gen Xer, so uh, that means I like to talk on the phone. Hey. I remember when I was a teenager, we had one wired phone in the house, and it had like this 30-foot cord, so you could go around corners and up a set of stairs, and but you'd still be physically wired to one place. So I know that makes me very old, but uh, it's true. <laughs> um, so you call yeah, a friend. I, you phone a friend. I, I phone a friend. Yeah, that's what I do. And even uh, that was I, kind of Gen X of me to throw in a who wants to be a millionaire, wasn't it? I don't yeah. know. <laughs> very good cultural reference there. Yep. <laughs> very relevant. Pull the so, audience. Is there one person that you usually call or is it, um, it just depends on whoever God puts in your mind or heart. Yeah, it's kind of more the second. Um, and I, I sort of have folks I try to call regularly. And then I have folks that are sort of in my my list of, just people I haven't talked to for a while or, you know, just going to randomly call them. And I know it's so countercultural because people, we don't tend to do as much just calling today. Everybody texts and sets up time and, you know, schedules things. So I am, I'm sort of that guy in, in the wider circle of friends life who just randomly calls them on a Thursday to say, hello, <laughs> I love <laughs> tell me that. about your day. I love so. that. There should be more of that. Okay, Matt Krieg, which audience response stood out to you? 
Um, well, I really liked what Laura had to say on Facebook. She said she started leash training her cat during what? quarantine. And the cat is doing much better with fetch than she is with the leash, though. <laughs> so I'm going to translate that as she finds something challenging to do because that sounds <laughs> nearly impossible, but I love it. That's so great. And Matt, what do you do when you're lonely? Oh, I would definitely uh, be prone to escapism. So whether that's a book, whether that's scrolling through some sort of news feed or losing myself in sports content. So that's your unhealthy or healthy? That's my unhealthy. What's a healthy one you do? The healthy one would be either either listening to music, um, specifically worship music, um, or reaching out and talking to someone, which I do very little of that. That's a work in progress. Work in progress for you, yep. Steve. Uh, yeah, I liked uh, this response. Hey, this is Laura. I live in Indiana. And one of the things I've been trying to do since the shutdown is writing actual cards to people, to friends. Um, yeah, this is all well and good if I remember to actually put them in the mailbox. Uh, I did this early in the shutdown and m months later I was in the basement and I found two addressed and stamped cards in the basement. So I was really embarrassed. I was laughing at myself and then I, I thought, well, I could throw them away. No, that would be a waste. I tried to steam them open. That was a failure. And then I finally decided, I'm just going to send them and follow up with a phone call. So so that's what I did. Had a good laugh at myself and uh, had a good conversation with those friends. Um, so I'm going to try to do that more regularly, send those cards, actually send those cards, because um, I know how much joy it brings people to get physical mail these days. So that's my best strategy. Thanks. Love the show. Um, mm. Yeah, I appreciated that. I relate to food and fiction um, in the unhealthy category, kind of like you're saying, Matt, you know, I'll just put a movie on or something like that and then fill a bowl of chips, popcorn, whatever. Um, so, but I actually have, because I know this about myself, um, just this last year I started, I've got this little to do app on my phone and I started putting in there, like it's just scheduled once a week, reach out to a friend. Um, wow. and usually it is a phone call cause I'm also a Gen Xer. Um, and it's been awkward cause it, it's a little bit like, yeah, what do you want? I'm like, uh, <laughs> Just to say hi, <laughs> like, you know, guys don't do that, you know? So I'll, sometimes I'll make something up like, oh yeah, I had a question about, uh, do you have this kind of tool? You know, like I'm working on a thing, uh, but a lot of times it is just, ah, I'm just, you know, I want to see how you're doing. And, um, so anyway, it's That's great. Steve, I'll give you my go-to line. My go-to line is you came to mind today Ooh, and I was good. just curious about what, I was just curious to, to hear how you were. Yes. Uh, see that, that totally deflects it off of you yeah. and uh and makes mind. it it makes you seem like you're a really thoughtful person <laughs> right <you know? laughs> that's a great idea yeah thank you thank you that's great i appreciated this hi this is audrey and when there are times when i am really feeling lonely um i have a cross that fits in my palm that i got from a mentor of mine years ago um, and I just hold it close to me and ask Jesus to um, just be with me in those times and um, just feel like he's literally holding me or 
um, giving me a hug. And then also my dog will typically be nearby just kind of staring at me. So I'll go over there and give him a hug also. So dogs, you know, release those happy hormones when you pet them. Um, And then I just like that symbolism of holding a cross and just like that it can bring you back uh, to to centering place with God. Um, I like that. I try myself, I try to talk to the Lord first and just tell him about it. My work in progress is um, to posture my heart more and more daily toward him, just to invite him into this daily suffering. So it's like these little laments throughout the day. God's hard or, or the joy. Thank you, God, for that. So that's my starting place. I'm someone who is a recovering codependent uh, relational person. And so for me to talk to people first often isn't the best thing. Um, so to go to God first and then to reach out to people, then they're just icing on the cake uh, as opposed to the whole whole meal. Yeah. Man, Jason, um, we the reason we do this podcast is to talk about how the gospel is good news for everyone every day. And so we ask every guest this set of questions, which is if the gospel is, I am more loved than I imagine and yet more sinful than I believe. When was that gospel first good news for you and how is it still? Yeah, I love that question. And I recognize the Keller influence there. Uh, And I love the way you've turned it to make it more positive. So uh, fantastic. Well done, team. Um, my, my earliest memories are of church and you, you'd be hard pressed to find someone more deeply churched than me, but, uh, because of some really dark and difficult circumstances growing up, I carried, uh, both a lot of shame for things that happened to me and to our family, uh, and guilt for the ways that I'd hurt other people. And what this created for me was a deep lack of integrity or perhaps even integration in my understanding of the gospel. Uh, I didn't really know, I would say, what it meant to respond to God's love, grace, and truth by knowing, loving, and trusting Jesus, following Jesus until my freshman year in college, when I met a man named Martin. And uh, Martin was unique in that he his life was full of God. Uh, I, I, I met Martin, saw him kind of across the room at an event, and I just thought, that guy knows God. I don't even know why I knew that, but but that was sort of his his presence wow. had such a profound impact on me. I just knew he knew God and it intrigued me. And I wanted to know how he could live so full and so free. And so I made it I made an effort to get to know him. And uh, as I shared about the dark and difficult parts of my past, uh, about my resentment toward my dad, about the brokenness in our home. He, he caught me up short. He leaned in and he said, Jason, God doesn't see us as we have been. He sees us as we are. And he sees what we can become in his love. And I had never understood the gospel in that way before. Wow. Um, in, in that sentence, it, here was both a radical acceptance of all the wrongs done to me and all the wrongs I'd done and a kind of a acceptance that, that that's, that's the past. Also radical acceptance of me as in my present. I didn't have to clean myself up or fix myself or do, you know, he's radically present and radical hope 
that connected to Jesus because of Jesus, uh, here was a life and a hope and a future that I could actively live into. Hmm. And I thought, wow, that I want that. I want to. I want to know that, and so I'm still on that journey today. Uh, I think if you push me all the way down and say what's really, 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 really important to you, Jason, uh, it's I want to know God. I, I want to know God. I want to know God deeply, freely, fully, and I want to pass on the fruit of knowing God to other people. Um, and so, so that that relationship that led me to life with God uh, still has deep meaning. For me. Is there a way that that kind of radical presence, that radical hopefulness that you talk about has been kind of more manifesting itself for you lately? Yeah, what a great question. Um, today, this morning, I I talked to a friend I, I hadn't talked to in a long time. And um, this is one of those friends that for whatever reason, I have this desire to try to make myself look good in front of. I don't know if you ever struggle to like want to make yourself look good in front of people. But here I am. It's eight o'clock in the morning and I've got this time to talk to my friend. And uh, and as I'm as I'm experiencing in real time the temptation to like make myself look good, there is this calm, present voice that says you are seen, known and loved. You don't have to impress him. You don't have to be impressive. You know, just look around you. Just be, just be present to me. Just be present to my love, and let me be the be the fuel hmm. that that helps you to be present in this relationship. This person's not a believer, um, but still, in that, I can lean into the presence of God to be the fuel that helps me connect with this friend. And and that perspective shift was just. It was liberating. So yeah, I need that every day. Um, and that's just one example. Mm. So good. So loneliness, why, why the passion for it? Oh man. Well, uh, most people don't, most people are lonely. Here's, here's the, here's the, I, I, I was really struggling with this question, Lori, just to be honest, because I could tell you my personal connections to loneliness and how I grew up feeling lonely and, and disconnected. But I think that's only half the passion. I think it's true that I grew up feeling lonely. But I think that the other side of the passion is most of us are lonely and we don't know it. Uh, and we don't know how to talk about it. Uh, you know, uh, and what's worse is that most people who are lonely assume that loneliness means that there's something wrong with them. That, that they're low status, that they're undesirable, that they're not seen, known, loved, or valued. And that is itself is a tragedy. Uh, I don't know if you know, but Cigna, which is an insurance company, just released the study, it's pre-COVID-19 study. And in the study, it w- re- was revealed that uh, almost eight out of 10 young people, Generation Z, uh, report regularly feeling lonely. Hmm. Um, Millennials are, it's between six and seven out of 10. And it actually goes down from there with it backstopping sort of with the, the, um, the uh, builder generation sort of around 50%. But if you think about that generationally, we've got a crisis of loneliness. Like even if it was just half the population that was feeling lonely regularly, you'd have a problem. But with young people uh, being eight, out of 10, that's huge. 
And so I'm passionate about the topic because it's a ubiquitous problem and we have to learn to talk about it and we have to find a way through it. Um, and as you know, you know, and loneliness unchecked increases the risk of heart disease, depression, anxiety, suicidal ideation, ability to regulate emotion, the list goes on and on and on. And uh, one study points to the health risks of loneliness being equivalent to smoking about uh, three quarters of a pack of cigarettes a day. And so this is a major problem. And what most people don't know is that the Christian tradition, that the Bible itself has powerful tools that can lead people through loneliness into deep connection with God, in deep connection with themselves and, and deeper compassion for other people. And so I'm passionate about the need because it's a real need that we need to learn how to talk about. And I'm passionate about the opportunity. And I'm passionate because personally, I've seen how God has transformed me and is transforming me in the process. Mm. So there's lots of passion here. <laughs> yeah. I just want to throw a couple more statistics. And then Matt, I know you have a question, but I just was looking at mm. CDC report that came out six days ago. Maybe you saw this, but 18 mm -hmm. to 24 year olds. 25% have seriously considered suicide in the past 30 yeah. days, one out yep. of four, and then 63% yep. have reported an anxiety or depressive disorder. So post-COVID, we're, we're struggling. I'm sure those relate to that, the pandemic of loneliness. Yeah, it's getting worse, for well, sure. And, and, and speaking of the, the pandemic, I mean, now we are in this kind of new new reality that we're living in in the past six months that you know we're isolated from one another how have you seen um kind of loneliness and interacted with loneliness differently since since the pandemic has kind of really set into into the states yeah well in in some ways the pandemic made it easier to talk about and i was actually grateful for it because loneliness is so hard to talk about and that most of us avoid it. But, um, uh, and then in, in some ways, in other ways, um, uh, I, I used the pandemic to, to get to loneliness and to the problems with loneliness, because I think a lot of the problems that we have, um, actually loneliness is a major contributing factor, right? So the, the number one researcher on loneliness and human connection, um, John Cappadocio, he says, uh, he says loneliness never travels alone. It's, it's, it's connected with anxiety. It's connected with depression. It's connected with, with um, can be connected with uh, rage and uh, other types of uh, problems. And so you have a, 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 any number of crises loneliness could be either the cause or partial cause um, or a major contributing complexifying factor that if you're not talking about it's it's really hard so um so any of the challenges that we're talking about in our culture now whether it's the whether it's our challenge with the pandemic uh where obviously we are disconnected from each other we're not touching each other Right. And human beings actually need to touch each other to to help us regulate our cortisol levels. Like this is just a physical reality. We need to be touched. We need to be in relationships. And uh, yet in this time, because the disease, physical touch and relationships are, are much harder. We got to talk about loneliness or you look at the racial reckoning that's happening. And and I I don't want to suggest for a minute 
that loneliness is at the bottom of it uh, because there's lots of complex factors, but loneliness is a contributor. It makes it much more difficult. When the protests started up again and this latest wave of kind of racial protests started up again, the constant refrain I heard over and over again from, from my uh, friends of color were, I need you to see me. I don't need, you know, I need you to see me. I, you know, and this is, this is often the voice of, of a group, a marginalized group, who's trying to bring their concerns to them and say, I need you to see me. Well, what's underneath that? I don't feel seen. I don't feel heard. I don't feel known. I don't feel valued. Loneliness is all the way down. And that, that's part of what makes it so difficult to talk about. So, um, so I appreciate the, the fact that this pandemic is giving us a practical reason to talk about this um, because it's more on the mind. And I think that's actually healthy. Hmm. Yeah, we need to get it up and out. So in your book, you talk about this concept of grasping. What is grasping and how does it relate to loneliness? Yeah, um, well, so Americans, I'm, I'm a New Yorker. I live in New York. I'm not in New York right now, but I, I, I'm a New Yorker. And there's just something about uh, New Yorkers and Americans. We, you know, the kind of American go-getter, right? Like, let's Let's go after my life. Let's grab, you know, grab after what whatever you're looking for and grasp after it. Ambition is is prized and valued, and um, and the problem, of course, is that we value success and uh, achievement over connection, mm. and that actually undermines our ability to thrive. Yeah, uh, and so. Uh, in the book, I, I, I have a chapter that's all it, it explores the the biblical character of Jacob, whose name actually literally means grabber. And if you look at the story of Jacob's life, uh, what you find is somebody who's whose desire to grasp after the things that he was promised anyway, uh, and to try to secure for himself uh, success and security and and the the. The things that in which he think are going to give him the life that he desires, they actually poison every relationship in his life. Uh, they poison his relationship with his father and mother. They poison the relationship with his brother. They poison the relationship with his with his children. Um, and so you have here's this person whose whose grasping tendencies actually undermine relationship. And in the book, what I'm trying to help us to see uh, is this idea that. The one being that Jacob needs to grasp onto is this mysterious stranger that comes to him in his moments of in his moments of greatest need, who is committed to him despite the fact that he's a scoundrel. Hmm. <laughs> you know, and it's grasping onto and wrestling with that presence that actually is transformative for Jacob and can be transformative for us as well. Hmm. Can, can you also talk a little bit? There's a chapter in your book called "Listen." Um, can you mm. can you speak a little bit into that and specifically just the interaction with your daughter? Yes, um, yeah. Restlessness is is the that's the chapter on where I talk about restlessness, and most of us are restless for more of everything. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we we just we we like experience, we like life, we and we have this inner inner restlessness with us. And I remember uh, coming into my daughter's room when she was crying. She's having a spiritual crisis when she was about four years old and she's shaking. And I, I came into her room and I said, honey, what's the matter? You know, do you have a bad dream? She said, no. I, she said, 
He said, I, 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 I want to, 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 to see Jesus. You know, she's just crying and she's praying. You know, she's like, I, I prayed and I asked, asked Jesus to come in my room, but he's not here. Yeah. <laughs> she's just, she's just this heart, you know, and you just this, this desire for, I, I want to connect with, god i want to connect with i want to play with jesus that's her that's her frame she's four right yeah and and i'm why can't i see it why can't i have it why can't i have it now why can't i do this um that's that's our inner restlessness when we grow up we we you know maybe don't ugly cry in the same way but you know we I, you know, we do the same thing. I want my book to be published now. Why can't I see it? I want, I want to be on another podcast. <laughs> you just, like, all that kind of stuff. And it's just this restlessness. And of course, the, 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 the strength, the gift from scripture and from the Christian tradition is learning to listen. What's underneath that, that, restlessness uh if you can if you can listen to it and you can pay attention to it there's something underneath it and that whatever that is underneath will give you a clue as to what what god has already put his finger on uh what what is meaningful important to you that feels threatened and feels it feels vulnerable and uh and if we can start to be honest we can start to pay attention to that start to be honest that then we can can listen to our lives, listen to our desires, listen to the things that are driving us. Mm. Then we can bring that to God. There is a um, there's this I- idea in worship, uh, in some kind of popular worship, you know, like leave your problems over there and then come and worship Jesus. And I want to say I think that's entirely wrongheaded. I want to say, understand what all of your problems are, what all of your drives are, what all of your needs are, and all that they say about you, and then bring all of that to Jesus. And what you will find is somebody who's, who is radically present to you in the midst of all of that restlessness, mm. and, and one who can give you the, the ability to listen and learn from your life learn from those restless desires those restless moments um so it's beautiful yeah um i i hear in that like i'm just remembering what matt said in his best lonely moments he goes to worship i'm remembering what you said mm -hmm. in the practical response to you know the gospel is when you notice you were grasping toward your friend this morning on that phone call, mm -hmm. the Lord just mm -hmm. spoke in there. So, and then as I'm thinking about how, you know, today and this week, it's been hard a few days for me and just reaching to God, just trying to change my heart posture. God, this is hard. And so for me, it's like micro laments, like just getting real with him throughout the day. So how, how does that interact? Like how, how does lamenting, you don't exactly talk, at least maybe I missed it, but about lamenting directly, but the, it's in there about just taking yeah. your real heart to God and how he enters in to that space. Can, do you know what I'm talking about? How, yeah, how does that interact do. in your life? Yeah. Well, I think, uh, I think about lament and grief as connected. Uh, there's multiple kinds of grief. There's the grief where you yell and you rant, like that's a lament. And then there's the lament that you that you mourn and you cry. But they're both 
driven by something isn't right. There isn't some, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. And um, the powerful, the powerful thing that is available to us in learning to lament and to grieve is to discover the God who laments and grieves. Um, I, I was really profoundly moved. I, I, I tell a story in the book about uh, some of the chaos and disruption of our life growing up. I tell a story in the book about that, and I talk about how painful and scary and challenging it was for us. And then as I was, as I was writing the book, years after having talked you know, worked through this with spiritual direction and counseling and, and thinking I've got this, you know, I, I, I've got this management, I'm, I'm having again rehearsing this experience of imagining Jesus present in the midst of the grief and the, this isn't supposed to happen like this and the, and the lament and the, and I experience uh, in that prayer moment, I experience Jesus's compassion for me. But then I also, that gave me fuel to then have compassion for the other people. Yes. And so, and it's this like this strange connection where, where my heart and Jesus's heart are coming together in this incredible way. Mm -hmm. And I can feel Jesus's compassion. And then I can share compassion for other people, which I don't have the ability in my own, when I'm consumed by my own lament and grief, I can't do that. Now that, that that's at the end of a process in which you, you meet the God who laments the God who, uh, who is, who is, willing to go into the vulnerable and difficult, angry and sad places around death. Mm. Um, when Jesus cries in the gospel of John, Jesus wept, you know, before his friend Lazarus, he cries. Uh, and it's this, it's this phrase that's used. It's like basically Jesus ugly cries. It's this really, really emotive kind of gut wrenching cry. But then the next thing he did, the next thing that Jesus does in that scene is it says Jesus cries out in a loud voice. And I like to think of Jesus screaming at death because he hates it so much. Mm. And this isn't the way. So I think, what does, it, what does it look like when Jesus laments? I think of Jesus standing at the tomb of his friend, yelling at him to come out of the grave. Mm. You know, and uh, and I don't think this is, I don't, I, I, I because I, I don't think that that is just a command. I think it carries with it the, all of the this isn't the way this is supposed to be this isn't this isn't the way this is and this it just the the emotional connectedness or connected um tissue there is very strong i think for me huge hmm. oh it's so good that for me was a huge what that process you described which again is kind of the tail yeah. end lots of processing you need uh, right. but of me working through sexual assault that i experienced as a kid was understanding mm -hmm. the grief of God, but what you just said, mm -hmm. that description, the Lazarus, et cetera, the rage, the holy righteous mm -hmm. rage toward death and sin. Someone needed to hear that just now and needs to mm -hmm. click this off and go and do that right now with Jesus. And he's going to meet you. He yeah. will meet you. Um, yeah. Mm. Okay. So just want to kind of jump in a little bit because yeah, Lori, you're describing a, a place in mm -hmm. your life where you, you had you had forgiveness work that yeah. that you needed to do um and god met you there um but it was a process and and I, I don't want people to confuse like this this going to jesus and this this grief and this this expression of of all the pain and all the rage and all of the anguish 
as, as something that is akin to, hey, forgive and forget. Um, mm. You know, and, and so, like, I think the important, one of the important things about what you're talking about, Jesus meeting you, and yes, you getting his heart, even for the, the compassion that you had on, on other people, is, is it wasn't through a dismissal of, mm. of what you were going through. It was through probably greater recognition yeah. of, of the pain and the anguish and everything. And then, then for, yeah. for God to, to kind of give you his heart. And so that's good, Matt. Yeah, absolutely. Good word. Absolutely. And, and you know, no one can tell another, you know, telling somebody to forgive and forget is, is um, it, it's not very helpful advice. Um, it, it, it's not very helpful. And it, the fact that Jesus can transform our hearts towards people who have hurt us deeply, um, on, on the, through a process of experiencing grief and lament and, and raging and, and grief and on all of that, um, is I think the end of a process that takes, take, can take a long time. And Jesus doesn't, you know, Jesus doesn't skip to the end. He's yeah. not that kind. God isn't that kind of God radically present to you and radically present right here, right now mm. in the midst of this. And then who you can be, who you can become in the love of God. If you let God love you, if you, if you receive God's love time and over, over time, there's, there's transformation. Mm. But God isn't skipping to the end. He's present with you through the whole thing, which I Amen. think is really important. And is really the antidote to this loneliness thing is in the process. <laughs> He's there. Yeah. Yeah, so, for sure. So, I mean, there's a, there's a group of people that have had their lives just drastically altered. Um, and I would think specifically about ministry leaders, um, mm. you know, pastors, especially they say that leadership is lonely by itself, yeah. but now you're, you're, you don't have the stage, you don't have the face to face, you know, interactions that you're used to. Um, and it can be just all the more yeah. isolating. Is there anything you would say to, to ministry leaders kind of in this time of loneliness? Yeah, I'd say three things to, to them. One is you have to deal with your own loneliness. And if you've dealt with your own loneliness, you need to deal with it again. Mm. Uh, so many people go into ministry because they're looking for community, because they're lonely, because they're looking for connections and community. And, and uh, gosh, if they're not aware of that, if you're not, if you're in ministry and you're not aware of that, and you haven't ruthlessly examined that as a possibility, as a possible kind of shadow side to your leadership, you need to do that because if you don't, the likelihood of you being sucked in and your community being sucked into the undertow of your own unmet needs is so high and Ooh. so bad for everybody mm. that you need to do that. So you need to deal with your own loneliness, um, and and to come to the ability to be say. Am I loved, seen, known, loved, and valued if I'm not on a platform every week? Mm. Am I seen, known, loved, and valued if if I can't make that hospital call and mm. bring that that word of encouragement? Am I still valuable? Mm. Um, that's hard work that pastors need to do. They need to do them for themselves. So, second thing I would say is you have a discipleship responsibility to teach your people to to, to pastor your people and teach your people, disciple your people around loneliness because it is, it's, it's pandemic. Uh, and I know it's hard to talk about. Uh, you ask somebody, how's your day? Nobody responds with, Oh, I'm actually feeling quite lonely today, you know, and what, uh, but you've got to be able to create safe spaces where 
where you can disciple people deeply and help them to to engage with God in this vulnerable place. Um, and then thirdly, uh, I think there's a theological task for people in ministry right now. Loneliness is the only it's the only problem that human beings experience before the fall. Huh. I don't get into this that much in the book, but you know it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good all through Genesis one. Then Genesis two, it's not good that the that the human being should be alone, right? All of a sudden, you have a this is not good. So that feeling of loneliness, that feeling of I need to connect with other people for it to be right, that's not a result of the fall. That's not a result of sin. And the fact that we're t- and the fact that we feel shame about needing other people is actually uh, it's 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 because we're formed as Western individualists, not biblical Christians. Biblical Christians should feel no more shame of feeling lonely than they do of their need for food and sleep. Mm-hmm. Cause it's just baked in all the way down. We need, so, but we, but pastors have got to do the theological work to help people understand it's, you're, there's nothing wrong with you. If you're, if you're lonely, it's not cause there's something wrong with you. It's cause you're human. You're made in the image of God. You're made for relationship. And uh, that loneliness that you feel just means just as a connection to your humanity in God's image. Mm. And, and we need to root to anchor people there over and over and over again. Um, mm. be, because, and I know it's not popular, and I know it's hard to talk about, but the need is so great. We, mm-hmm. We've got to be able to do it. And if pastors could do it from a vulnerable position, shame-free, like that, you know, I'm yes. excited to talk about that, Lord willing, next week with uh, Kurt Thompson, how we can eliminate shame now. But if they can just say, hey, this is what I'm wrestling with, that would liberate a lot of people. And even in reading your book, like it was very refreshing to have uh, a dude just say, this is what I've wrestled with since maybe conception, but like birth, you know? <laughs> and I thought, you know, yeah. you were in uh, the NICU or something for the first six weeks. And so was yeah. Matt. And yeah. then I was like, oh, man, maybe this is why Matt is this way. And then I started going down a bad wife trail. That was not great. So I stopped. But <laughs> uh, throughout your book, uh, in addition to laying out some really gripping uh, pieces of your story that were very relatable, you you do throw some help. I don't want to say helpful hints because that makes your book seem like it's self-help. It's not. But you do offer some practical tools in the midst. You weave it through story. It's very beautiful. Go buy it, guys. Wait with me. Jason Gabriel. Uh, but um, can you help the person listening right now? And maybe when you were saying the statistics, I was saying the statistics, they're raising their hand. They're like, I'm wrestling with suicidal ideation. I've got anxiety, depression, in addition to this loneliness pandemic that's raging through my soul. Can you speak to them yeah. right now? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for the opportunity. Uh, this is what I would want to say to you if you're struggling with loneliness right now. Uh, what you need to know is that there isn't anything wrong with you. Mm. You're not lonely because you're undesirable. You're not lonely because of your ethnic story or your sexual orientation or because you're less talented or lower status than the people around you. You are lonely. You're experiencing loneliness because you're human, because you're made in the image of God. And the ache of loneliness that you feel is an opportunity for you to know God in a whole new way, Mm. for you to know yourself in a whole new way. And for you to grow compassion for others can, and the, the ability to connect with others in a whole new way. 
And so a couple of really practical things for you. Uh, you can, I, I actually have written a, a, a one pager. It's six spiritual disciplines for seasons of loneliness. You can get it on my website, uh, www.jasongabry.com. It's called uh, spiritual disciplines for seasons of loneliness. And it will te- it will walk you through things like learning to sit still and pay attention when you are uh, feeling loneliness, uh, how to engage your creativity when you're feeling loneliness, hmm. how to meditate on scripture when you're experiencing seasons of loneliness, how to grieve, how to let a lot of times when we're feeling lonely, we're also feeling sad because loneliness doesn't tend to travel alone, uh, how to grieve. And so really practical things. You can get that. It's on the blog of jasongabry.com and you can, you can pick that up. Uh, if you subscribe, you can get a free free first chapter of the book and and that could also help start you on a journey towards deeper connection with yourself Mm. with god and with others but but the the main thing to take away so those things can help you if you're listening if you're listening and you're struggling with loneliness um but the main thing you need to know is is that there isn't something wrong with you Mm. you are seen known loved and valued as you are today right now and God sees a future for you if you will let him love you. Mm. So good. So good. Man, Jason, I really like you. Thank you for being on this podcast today. I'm so glad to be here with, with you. It's great. Okay, friends, go. Get it. Get weight with me. Meeting God in Loneliness, wherever you find your books. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, I don't know. Probably IVP. Go there, universitypress.com. But while you're clicking around, if you guys like this podcast, thank you. We like doing it, and we like you. Uh, but we would so appreciate if you took a moment to rate and review the podcast. It helps others to find this content. So thank you so much. We do have a question of the week for next week, which will actually be in two weeks. So I mentioned Kurt Thompson coming. Lord willing, he's coming in two weeks. Next week, we're going to have a special guest. We will talk about it next week when you're here. But our question of the week for two weeks when Kurt Thompson is here talking about shame is this. How would you walk into a room differently if you knew you were deeply loved by God? If you really knew it down to your toes, how would you walk into a room differently? This question has been wrecking me. I threw it out to a couple people I've discipled recently and I just keep thinking about it and it is changing the way I walk into a room and walk out of rooms if I start wrestling with shame. So can't wait to talk to Kurt Thompson. If you want to answer that, follow me on the old Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Just look up Lori Krieg, L-A-U-R-I-E-K-R-I-E-G. But guys, thanks again to Jason Gabriel. I think Matt was checking out his website to be able to give those six things to do in loneliness. Were you, honey? Uh, I, I started to, and then I was like, I'll just be present for a second. And <laughs> get, it, get it after it's done. Oh, but I am sure that would be great for your clients, but for me as well, for everyone. Uh, but guys, for us here at the Hole in My Heart podcast, we're so excited to see you next week.